Second Timothy chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 8, but I really just want to deal with two words out of verse 10, just to get a little of the flow here. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. And as I was reading through Second Timothy a few days ago, that little phrase, eternal glory, stood out to me. I guess it just put a different way of thinking about eternal life. Eternal life isn't just eternal life the way we know life now. Eternal life is eternal glory. If you just let that thought sink in a little bit, you realize that this is such an incredible thing we're talking about when we're talking about eternal life. Now, it's brought up here in the context of suffering. I endure all things, he says, and suffer hardship. I suffer hardship even to imprisonment. And I wanted to point out a couple other places where this is is really something, I think, that the New Testament writers, especially Paul and Peter, but others also, when when they thought about suffering, they automatically thought about the eternal glory that lay ahead. And I think that's an important thing for all of us in times of difficulty, trials, persecution, suffering, that we don't just look at the present situation, but we contemplate the eternal glory that is there yet. I like the way he says this, that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. The salvation that we have in Christ, with that comes eternal glory. But let's look at a, a couple other places. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. So, again, in the context of affliction, in the context of suffering, Paul fast-forwards, you might say. And uh, he says, this light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. And then, if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's called us to his eternal glory. So that gives us a little idea of what we're talking about here. This glory is not some just ill-defined Radiance, it's His glory. See, 
the eternal glory that we're going to share in, be part of, have forever, is His glory. It's being in His presence with Him, the one who is all-glorious. That's, that's what our eternal glory involves or will encompass or be made part of is His, his glory. So, what is the glory of God? Sounds like a simple question. There isn't a simple answer, I'll tell you that. <clears throat> it's not really one of the attributes of God. It's more like a, an all-encompassing description of all the attributes of God. The glory of God. Um, let, me, let me just read what Wayne Grudem said. He says that often it's associated with light and radiance. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, you see. So the glory of God is also often associated with radiance and light. In the Old Testament, you had the Shekinah glory. But he says this then. It is very appropriate that God's revelation of himself should be accompanied by such splendor and brightness, for this glory of God is the visible manifestation of the excellency of his character. The manifestation, you see, of the excellency of his character. Whatever attribute you're talking about, you're talking about something of the excellency of his character. And all of that can be incorporated under this thing of the glory of God. The greatness of God's being, the perfection of his attributes, is something that we can never fully comprehend, but before which we can only stand in awe and worship. In other words, whenever, whenever there's any manifestation, true manifestation of the glory of God, it should bring forth something from us, and that would be worship. We can only stand in awe and worship. Thus, it is appropriate indeed that the visible manifestation of God be such that we would be unable to gaze fully upon it and that it would be so bright that it would call forth both great delight and deep awe from us when we behold, behold only part of it. And then he goes in the next paragraph says this, but quite amazingly, God made us to reflect his glory. When we were made in the image of God, one of the things that that was to bring forth was a reflection of the glory of God. And what has happened because of sin is that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So I just want to talk about this a little bit this evening. Just a few thoughts that really were just just spurred by just thinking some about this phrase, eternal glory. Eternal glory. Eternal glory is more than just the idea of glory that lasts forever. I mean, it encompasses that, but it's so much more because we're talking about the glory of God, you see. That's, that's what eternal glory is all about, the glory of God and us being able to reflect the glory of God and enter into something of that glory for all eternity. R.C. Sproul has a, a whole series of tapes, and I don't know, maybe there's a book also, but I know there's a series of tapes 
where he talks about the purpose of God for man. And the, the series is titled, From Dust to Glory. From Dust to Glory. And if, if you think about it, that's really quite a good title. Because we were made from dust, and yet he's going to bring us to glory and have a share in his glory. This isn't quite a thing. From dust to glory. We often say that God created man and everything else for his glory. The part of God's creation that was to reflect his glory the most was mankind, men and women. They were to have a, a royal dignity about them because of being made in the image of God. But as I said, man fell, and that all changed. Through sin, all men fall short of that ideal which God had in view when he brought them into being. So we've all come short of the glory of God. We were made especially, you see, to reflect his glory. I mean, the the heavens declare the glory of God, but it's nothing compared to what God intends for the highest of his creation, which is mankind, people. We are especially, I think, to show forth those attributes of God that the theologians call communicable attributes. There's, there's incommunicable, th- those that he can't really share with us, things like his self-existence, his omnipresence, his infinitude. But there are communicable at- attributes, and these are the ones that we are to reflect as God's image bearers. Things like holiness and justice and love and wisdom, and purity, and I think in, even in some way power. We don't have all power, but we can have some power, and we were supposed to rule over the rest of creation the way God made us. So, especially when we're thinking about the glory of God and reflecting that glory, we should think of those moral attributes of God that... Uh, we are to reflect. But again, sin has caused us to fail in this miserably. Uh, like I said, the, the scripture that comes to mind and is worth thinking about is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we can get a wrong idea about that. It's like, well, we... we do a pretty good job of reflecting God's glory, but we just fall short a little bit. That's not, that's not the idea we're supposed to get from that verse. Not that we're aiming at God's glory and just fall short a bit. Fallen man does not fear God, does not seek God, does not understand his ways, and all we like sheep have gone astray and turned to his own ways. We've turned from a life of reflecting the glory of God to a life lived for self and sin. Instead of bringing glory to God, mankind attempts to bring glory to themselves. In our natural state, we're hostile toward God. We hate the light. We don't like God's glory. And uh, there's a reason for that. The Bible says because our deeds are evil. We don't want to come to the light because our deeds are evil. But that doesn't mean that God's purposes have failed. 
His purpose to have a people to glorify his name and to demonstrate his glory has not been thwarted. He has some vessels that that are vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for what? For glory. He calls some out of darkness to light, causing them to come to the light, makes them sons of light who will walk in the light and bring praise and glory to his name. That's what happens when a person's converted. He begins to work in them to bring them to glory. His eternal purpose, now think about this, his eternal purpose is to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Paul tells us that every Christian right now is presently being made to see more and more of the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, we're transformed from glory to glory. As we see more of Christ, we're changed more into His image from glory to glory. That word transformed is that word metamorphosis. We're we're morphed into something else. Spiritually, we're talking about here. Well, let's look at that that verse. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen, because it's a good one. Second Corinthians chapter three. Verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So there's a spiritual work going on every, in every believer right now that is a, a transforming work, taking us from one level of glory to another, in terms of being made more like Christ. It's an ongoing process. process of spiritually being changed from one degree of glory to another. And uh, I think it is significant that that word metamorpho is used for what happened to Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 2, And he was transfigured, changed before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light so there you see again that idea of glory being associated with light what happened in an instant there is going on with us even now by degrees as we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ the New Testament presentation the New Covenant has to do with seeing Christ and being changed as you see Him. I mean, that's the, if you, that's the desire of a Christian as he witnesses. That's certainly supposed to be the desire of a, a pastor or a preacher or a teacher that somehow 
in what you say, in what we do, people get to see a little bit more of Christ because that's what will change people. Well, that process is only completed when Christ comes again and we're changed, as it says, in a twinkling of an eye. It's a, it's a supernatural, instantaneous work. Uh, conversion brings you into the beginning of that process. Christ coming again takes you instantaneously to a, I guess you would call it a, a consummation of that process. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Christ to come again, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. There's that word again, the glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So what's going to take place when Christ comes again? It's going to be a mighty manifestation of his power. He won't come as a suffering servant again. He'll come as the reigning king. But one of the manifestations of that power is going to be the, the transformation of the body of our humble state, a humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. You see that again, a similar explanation of what's going to happen in 1 first, uh, John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. We are right now children of God. God's working in us to change us. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, that is, when he comes again, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. We're going to see that glory that we see by faith. Now we're going to see by sight, and there's going to be an instantaneous uh, change there, what the Bible calls glorification, that is, receiving this Resurrection body and complete deliverance from sin. That's, we talk about glorification. Is that a scriptural word? Well, it certainly is. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. So we're talking about glory, you see, eternal glory. And what happens to us when Christ comes again is called a, we're being glorified. Think of that. That's quite a, we just use these words sometimes. We're going to be glorified. Because we're going to see him in his glory, and we're going to be brought into that glory. Romans 8, these are familiar verses, but it doesn't hurt to read them again. Romans 8, 30, well, let's start with 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called... These he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. There's the word glorified. And if you look uh, back in verse 17, uh, verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, 
heirs, heir, all, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's that suffering and glory again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's it's almost like in Paul's mind he could not even possibly think of suffering without thinking of glory. Glorified with him. That's, That's quite a phrase, isn't it? Glorified with him. To share in his glory. We are to become partakers of his glory. How can this even be possible? I mean, if we have any concept of the glory of God at all, we ought to be saying, how can this possibly be that someone like me can be made partakers of his glory? It's not that we'll just see his glory. We'll share his glory. Well, it's only possible because of what he's done for us in Christ. Because we're made joint heirs with Christ. That's how come we can share in the glory. It's not because of us. And the fact that we're going to be sharers in his glory, you know what that makes us do? It doesn't make us say, look at my glory. It just makes us glorify him more. We see more of his glory. We partake more of his glory. We give him more glory. And that can go on forever. Because he's got a lot of glory. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a God of infinite glory. So there's no stopping on that one. Now, again, that's why we were created. I mean, you take it, you go from dust to glory again. That's the whole reason, the glory of God, and us being able to share in that glory. So it's for His great glory, and it also turns out to be, for our, to be our greatest joy and fulfillment. We already looked at that verse in 1 Peter, but... Uh, it's, it's His glory, you see. It's not our glory. We're all, the only glory that we're going to have is going to be a reflection of His glory. Being conformed to His image. And we know this is certain for every believer because Christ has already gone into that realm for us as a man, you see, as a, a human being. I think that's what Hebrews is talking about. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. This is kind of a little bit longer section. He's talking about the world to come, saying he did not subject, chapter 2, verse 5, he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that thou rememberest him, or the son of man that thou are concerned about him. Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about mankind here. That's what he's talking about. For in subject all, subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that was not subject to him. But now we see not yet all things subject to him. He's talking about people here. What do we see, though? Well, here's what we see. But we see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the... Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. He's in that place right now, that place eternal glory, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's God's purpose to bring us from dust to glory. And we know that for sure because of what he's done with one man, and that's Christ. Through and with him. Well, we talked about God's glory being often associated with light and just splendor and majesty. The the glory of God is that bright, shining radiance that surrounds him from his character, all his attributes. So, in relationship to that, I just close with this. We could ponder these verses concerning our uh, future glorification. There may well be a shining radiance associated with our glorification. Jesus said this in Matthew 13:43, "Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom." of their Father. Eternal glory. His eternal glory being reflected. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Daniel speaks concerning the second coming. Well, let's turn to this one because I want to make a contrast here. Daniel 12 and verse 2. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. What a contrast. Glory, disgrace, and everlasting contempt. Everlasting glory, everlasting contempt. But the next verse is the one we're talking about right now in terms of this radiance. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens, of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Again, let me just point out, we talk about the heavens declaring declaring the glory of God, but they were never intended to be anything compared to the crown of God's creation being made in the image of God we're to shine brightly we will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever now that may be speaking somewhat in a metaphorical terms there I don't know 
But uh, I do know this, whatever it means, we're not going to be looking at it this way. We're going to be looking that way because that's where their glory is. And all the, we're just a reflection. We can enter in because of what he's done on the cross and in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. The psalmist said, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory.